Hey everyone, it's Beverly Hallberg. Welcome to a special pop-up episode of She Thinks, your favorite podcast from the Independent Women's Forum where we talk with women and sometimes men about the policy issues that impact you and the people you care about most. Enjoy. everyone. I'm Julie Gunlock, the director of the Center for Progress and Innovation at the Independent Women's Forum. Joining me today is a good, good friend and IWF senior foreign policy fellow, Claudia Rosette, who today is going to be talking about something that's on all of our minds, coronavirus. Before uh, Claudia and I get into this, I do want to give a quick bio on Claudia. She's an amazing journalist, a completely impressive resume. Um, She's an award-winning journalist. She's reported over the past 37 years from Asia, the former Soviet Union, Latin America, and the Middle East. And she has done groundbreaking reporting on the corruption at the United Nations. Actually, Claudia and I have known each other for a lot of years, and that is when um, I started to get to know Claudia uh, during her work, her investigation into the United Nations incredibly impressive work there. Um, Claudia has also been a staff writer at the Wall Street Journal. Um, She served um, on the editorial board there and was the Moscow bureau chief um, in the mid-90s. She's published in numerous publications from the New York Times, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and many other. That is just a tiny list of the many places that she's she's published. So, Claudia, I'm so glad to be talking to you today about this. I know you know a lot on the subject. Yeah, Julie, thank you for that lovely introduction. And this subject of this coronavirus is really important. It may, it will very likely affect us all in one way or another. Definitely, definitely. Um, so apparently now, maybe you can update us a little bit on this, but the latest figures, and as you say, you, you may have updated numbers, but it looks like it's in 42 countries. Um, according to the CDC, there are 53 con- confirmed cases in the United States. Um, it looks like the totals now are around 78,000, maybe a little bit more than that. Who knows? Overnight, it might have increased even more. And it's killed around 3,000 people uh, worldwide. And I feel, I feel it's really important, actually, here to just, before we get into the latest data on this stuff, is to interject sort of my job at IWF is to, to tamp down alarmism and to make people uh, feel like they don't need to panic about things. But I will also say that it's also my job to, to point out when you actually should worry about things. This is definitely a virus I think you should worry about. But I think it's also important to say that uh, this virus, it appears to, for, for those who have died from this virus, they seem to have some sort of compromised um, immune system already. They're sick. They may have another disease. Um, you know, they, they may have, uh, you know, been suffering from another disease and then they get this virus and it's just too much for their body. So I want to say that on the outset, that it doesn't appear that this is like sort of, you know, this is an Ebola. It's the minute you get it, you know, say, say your goodbyes and say your prayers. Um, this is a, a, a fairly mild uh, virus in that it, it, it kind of, it's flu-like, um, but it still can kill. So, so with that said, I just, I don't want people to listen in, uh, into this because we are going to be talking about how, uh, how contagious, how this spreads so quickly. It's highly contagious. And I don't want people to think that they're, you know, immediately going to drop dead if they, if they do get this. Uh, but I think it is important. The CDC, the, the head of immunology at the CDC basically told her family that, um, 
They should be, they should expect a major disruption as this sweeps through the United States. So I don't think it's, it's, uh, it's, there's any doubt that we will all be experiencing this. And I think getting some information on it is good. So with that said, Claudia, if you could kind of give us an update on what the current status is um, of the infections and, and what, what, what governments are doing. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is do not panic, but do be informed and keep a close eye on this. In the, uh, it's a sign of how rapidly this spreads, that even overnight, we're now up to almost 84,000 officially reported infections worldwide in something like 50 countries. So, and with a special concern, the, the place where it began is China. And that has by far the greatest number of infections, almost 79,000. But there's been an enormous outbreak in South Korea. It's gone from about 30 infections a week and a half ago to 2,300 now. Wow. And uh, Italy, which went from a handful to 655, as I look at the current tallies, uh, Iran which seems to have a very high uh, mortality rate compared to others, suggesting they're probably underreporting the number of cases, but which has officially yeah. 388 cases reported to date, and so on. Japan, Hong Kong, Singapore, Germany, it is pretty much spreading. The cases are turning up, in, at least in small numbers, at this point all around the globe. Uh, so this thing spreads very quickly. Um, the, it's a strange new virus. It's neither precisely flu, nor is it uh, some of the other things. It's got characteristics that scientists are still trying to figure out, all of that made harder by China's lies and secrecy, where the main outbreak began. But um, in the, the statistics we're getting, and these could change, but this is a rough picture right now. In about 80% of the cases, it's either mild, so mild that there are no, no visible symptoms, or it's an unpleasant flu, like you've, that's how it feels. But in about 20% of the cases, it can turn critical. What basically happens is this is a virus that attacks the lungs, and it can turn into very severe pneumonia, needing hospitalization. In about 5% of the cases, people end up in intensive care, and then the estimates of mortality right now are really kind of fluid, but roughly, roughly 2%, which is a small number for the, you know, if two in a hundred. And at the same time, that's many, many times the actual flu. Um, a few more things that people have observed. And again, this is all sort of up in the air a little bit right now because it's new. Um, and that is, it is worse for older people. As Julie mentioned, people with compromised immune systems at this end tends to concentrate on that end of the spectrum. At the same time, uh, quite relatively young people have died of this, um, notably a Chinese doctor who tried to blow the whistle on this early and was suppressed by the Chinese Communist Party, uh, Li Wenliang, who died at the age of 34 earlier this month. So it's both, it's something where you want to wash your hands a lot and keep an eye on things and stockpile yeah. some provisions. And at the same time, this is not Ebola, okay? This is something that can be fought. And uh, it's, it's something above all to be informed about. So you mentioned China. I'd like to kind of pivot to, to China for a little bit. Um, just obviously you've, uh, you know, you've, you've mentioned that this, it originated in China. 
Um, and there's some really interesting theories on that. But I'd also like for you to tackle um, how is, has China uh, been behaving um, during this um, outbreak um, when it first when it, when we first heard news of this and saw reports of this, was it was it just a um, a small problem in China or had they waited? I'd kind of like to get a sense of of how quickly China alerted the greater world community about this. Well, if there were awards for international awards for hypocrisy among dictatorships, <laughs> China probably wins it with this one. Okay, um, what China's ruling Communist Party did, and I say the Communist Party, I could say the government, but the Communist Party runs the government. Xi Jinping, China's president, runs the Communist Party, and he has all these grand dreams that China is going, supposed to be the dominant world power in the century. He wants to make it that within his lifetime. Part of this is that everything, this huge party apparatus of surveillance and control, which is quite brutal, um, is used to try and burnish China's image as well as infiltrate, subvert, and so on. And when this virus turned up, uh, it emerged apparently in the large industrial central China city of Wuhan, sort of the Chicago of China. And uh, doctors, it began circulating probably last November or December. We know by December it was out there. A number of doctors, young doctors in Wuhan, notice this thing because they've been on high alert since the SARS outbreak in 2003, which was a deadly pneumonia, um, which then sort of faded away. But they watch for things like that. They know that. And uh, in particular, it was a group of doctors, but the one who's really become the human face of what this tragic thing that this horrible thing that China's Communist Party did is they noticed that the SARS-like pneumonia, very serious, was turning up among a small group of patients. And they were talking about it in an online chat room. And this Dr. Li Wenliang was one of the people who said, take extra precautions. It appears to be quite contagious. It's dangerous. Well, they, they keep an eye on everybody in China. You're not supposed to freely express yourself. So he, was, he and his colleagues were uh, arrested. And they were told wow. by authorities that they had to admit that they were spreading rumors, that, you know, they were going to cause a panic, they were spreading lies, they were going to hurt China's reputation. So they were basically coerced into signing documents saying they would not spread rumors, and they went back to work. And the same Li Wenyang, who rightly observed this, tried to report it and warn people, caught the virus uh, and died of it in, on February 7th which was just terrible. China, meantime, having shut up these doctors who were trying desperately, you know, (laughs) trying to say, be careful, look at this thing. China then tried to hush it up for three more weeks. The authorities, and what they did was just beyond belief. They didn't just ignore it. They tried to suppress it. In fact, in Wuhan, where this outbreak was occurring, they closed down a seafood market where they suspect it might have come from, although I stress we do not know exactly where this emerged, but it clearly emerged in Wuhan. Um, And they shut down a seafood market, but they said it was for renovation. They didn't warn people that it was for a disease. Um, Then they went on. They wanted to have a big party for Chinese New Year's. They went on just saying this virus doesn't transmit from person to person. You know, it's not a problem. Well, it clearly does. And uh, they, they reached sort of the apotheosis of this insane approach just before Chinese New Year, 
just after mid-December, where they hosted in Wuhan a potluck dinner for 40,000 families trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records or something. So you had tens of thousands of families bringing dinners to a common meal. I mean, if there's a way to spread a virus, that's it. (laughs) And and, uh, two days later, this case, finally, something happened. We don't still don't know exactly what. But within the Chinese Communist Party ruling mechanisms, they suddenly reversed engines and realized they had a huge problem because at that case, people yeah. at that point, people were dying in visible, noticeable numbers. And it's quite likely, although China has not admitted this, that they had thousands and thousands of cases already. Uh, and what yeah. they did was then they turned around and in a complete draconian way, they quarantined the entire city of Wuhan, the entire province. Basically, they ended up quarantining about 100 million people, well, <laughs> okay, well, forcing them to stay home. And that's how this thing got rolling. So China, at the point, we're now being urged to, you know, follow China's example of containment. Actually, China, at the point where this probably was readily containable, did everything possible to let it spread. And I would say it's completely reasonable to say China has infected the world with a truly troubling and dangerous virus. Well, so and you know, I, I saw some. I don't follow this as closely as you do, but I, but frankly, I feel like everybody is following it closer now. But I did see, you know, there were smuggled out videos and uh, and and some some really scary scenes of uh, heavily armed uh, police on the streets. I guess it was Wuhan. I'm not sure. Um, going house to house, people being locked in their apartments. Um, and, and housing units um, and not being allowed to, to, to leave. Um, who knows if they had adequate provisions? There was some pretty scary stuff. I mean, I'm not surprised to see that coming out of China, but those leaked videos were very, very chilling. Yeah. I mean, basically, China has an enormous... China has been a very brutally repressive state for a long time. That's what brought us yeah. Tiananmen Square 31 years ago. Right. But they have a huge apparatus of surveillance and control. That's what the Communist Party does. And right. uh, they, when, once they turn that on the business of trying to control this virus, it is, yes, they can be highly effective in stopping movement, containing people. But the thing that is just vital to keep in mind the thing that separates China from, say, a democratic society that decides it must impose a quarantine in an emergency or something like that is in China, there is no recourse for the people who are suffering what you just described. They can't go to the newspapers. There are no private newspapers. They can't go to the courts. The courts aren't fair. They are left. They simply have to submit. And that's the scene. And uh, people briefly were able to get messages out really talking about how bad things were, how badly they were being treated, as well as this epidemic that was now going on. And China has now more and more shut that down and is now pumping out this flood of propaganda videos, sunsets over Wuhan, you know, dancing patients yeah. and singing doctors, right. which is, it's like Soviet propaganda. Yeah, it's the same, well, same genre. That's what we're seeing now. Uh, the well, truth is, it's yeah. brutal. Well, uh, two things I wanted to ask you about. You know, you, you say, you know, in China, they don't have any recourse. And, um, and you know, it's a, this brutal regime that will shut people up. Uh, but th- my question is, um, how are the international organizations, you have an incredible 
background in investigating, for instance, the United Nations, how are international organizations, particularly international health organizations, how has the WHO been on this? The WHO uh, should really apply for a job in China's propaganda apartment, uh, department. <laughs> they, have, they have been doing everything in their power to praise China, ignoring, right. overlooking, throwing down the memory hole. China, the role of China's Communist Party and system in getting the, in letting this thing emerge, get to the point where it's a real epidemic. Um, the WHO was run by China's nominee for years, uh, Margaret Chan out of Hong Kong, which I love Hong Kong, but unfortunately China is in charge there. She was effectively China. And um, it's now run by a former foreign minister of Ethiopia, which takes a lot of money from China for China's right. various development projects. And he went to Beijing um, sort of soon after China began quarantining and came away praising Xi Jinping to the skies. Not a word about this is a brutal dictatorship, nothing of that. Then the WHO sent a team into China where they, in order to get them in, the deal they struck with China was that it wasn't actually a World Health Organization team. It wasn't independent in any way. It was a joint team between China and the WHO. So, so okay. half international, half China. <clears throat> they were squired around China. They never actually interacted with any patients. They, were met, they met with officials. They were, they were given sort of, again, it's like the old Soviet tours, except it's the old China tour at this point. Um, right. they, they had so little contact with patients that when the leader, the WHO team leader, Bruce Aylward, a Canadian, returned to Geneva he got right off the plane from Beijing and gave a press conference in an open room with reporters. And one of them asked, why aren't you wearing a face mask? <laughs> you know, you just came back from China. Oh, and his answer yeah. was, we haven't had contact with patients. Well, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what's, that's what's going on with the WHO, which is still refusing to call this disease a pandemic, even though it's now in something like 50 countries. And I, uh, I have to wonder, I don't know what their motivation is. You know, what they've said is they think it can still be contained. Well, perhaps, but uh, they, uh, it looks to me, there are certainly many suggestions, things that suggest to me they are waiting until the chains of transmission do not lead directly back to China. Because right. over and right. over, in fact, the team leader gave a conference in Beijing, the WHO team leader of this compromise mission, at which he praised China's techniques to such a degree, I, I, I thought, my God, you know, if they said they won't let him go, unless he, he talked about China yeah, exactly. as extraordinary, agile, innovative, nimble. And I'm looking at this thing, <laughs> China had quarantined scores of millions of people without right. adequate facilities or medical care, as you described, right. with keeping them with armed guards in their homes. Uh, so right. international organizations uh, could use a little improvement on this front. Yeah, and you said uh, earlier we were talking about this, and you said that China just arrested a leading speaker who's been critical of the, of, of the government and their, their response to this. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, they've done this. They've arrested many. There's one specifically, but let me just first say bloggers who were critical of what the Chinese government was doing, you know, how brutally it was being and sloppily and ruinously it was being done in places like Wuhan have been disappeared. Okay, they're just gone, whether into quarantine, into prison, who knows Um, what has most recently happened is in Hong Kong, uh, one of the 
longtime leading Democratic Voices for Democracy, a newspaper owner named Jimmy Lai, uh, was arrested on Friday morning in Hong Kong along with two other Democratic leaders. And you know, what was his crime? He took part in a protest march on August 31st. Now, the signal event that went with that, yeah, during the protests. So this is all part of shutting people up, shutting people down. Hong Kong is the freest, the only place under China's flag where people have been free to speak out. And remember, there were these huge democracy protests last year. Uh, Now everyone in Hong Kong has been trying to avoid this virus out of China, where they've had 94 cases confirmed to date. And they're all, they've all been washing things and going around in face masks. That's become the big preoccupation. Um, But uh, what China is still doing, basically, even while fighting this virus, the people's war that Xi Jinping has declared on the virus, um, they still have time to suppress, arrest, uh, threaten, bully. Remember, they've also kicked out three Wall Street Journal reporters um, over a headline. They have been complaining to the world that they complained when President Trump uh, curtailed most air traffic between the U.S. and China and put restrictions on entry in airports. You know, they check people. Um, China complained about that, it's, it, yeah. which is quite, a, again, quite a bit of hypocrisy from a country that is quarantining millions of its own. They've just called yeah, off. Also, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, also China building this mega hospital to hold I don't know how many, you know, and they built it in something like 10 days. Um, And yet you have these mixed messages, as you say, that they're now saying, oh, it's contained, it's contained. That might be a good opportunity, though, if we're looking at, and I don't remember how many countries, did you say 58 countries it is now present in? It's roughly present in 50 right now, and I will confidently predict it will be more before the next week. Before we're done with this podcast. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, and, and for, for, for listeners, know that this podcast, we're recording it in one day, but it does take time to process and be put up. So certainly by the time this po- podcast is put up on the IWF website, it will have increased. This might be a good time to talk a little bit about sort of domestic issues. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, I put up a blog this week that I said, don't panic, but prepare. Um, and I thought your line, don't panic, but be informed, um, are really, really good, a good line as well. Um, talk a little bit about how contagious this is. I mean, we've already talked about the global spread. Um, you know, we, I, I, frankly, I don't really care what China's doing because, um, because they lie and they, they hide things and they're not honest brokers. But, but we do know now, at least from, from more reputable sources, how quickly this spreads. So talk a little bit about, you know, the mortality rate associated with it and also just, again, how contagious it is. Yeah, it appears to be very contagious. And again, they're still trying to figure this out. And the problem is you can't rely on Chinese numbers. China is saying it's coming down. We don't know. We just don't know. We have no window there. But as it spreads in places like South Korea, Japan, um, here, (laughs) uh, we do get more accurate information. And a lot of scientists are now looking at this. So um, it appears pretty well a certainty that it spreads by coughs, sneezes, droplets in the air, surface contact, um, that these are the main vectors. There's some question about whether it can just travel through the air, even if nobody sees. Um, but we don't know that yet. Basically, it sort of centers on lungs. So it's when people breathe out, cough in their hands, touch something. And the most important advice 
everyone I've spoken with points to this, is simply this. Wash your hands a lot and do not touch your face, at least not unless you washed your hands. <laughs> if you're around anything that might, where there might be contagion, other people, places where other people have been, um, things especially to be aware of. My pet peeve is those electronic pens in grocery stores and pharmacies where everybody oh. who comes through has to hold it and yes. sign something. If you have to do that, hold it with a hand wipe. <laughs> um, door yeah. pulls, elevator buttons, and sort of be more aware than usual of what are the things where everybody who's come through that day would have touched it uh, because right. that's how it can spread. And face masks you're seeing on a lot of things they, unless they're very high level, which are really sold out by now or in professional custody, um, they are more useful for protecting other people than for protecting yourself, okay? If they well, are some level of protection, but that's it, more vital is keeping your hands clean and then just don't, um, this would be a good season not to shake hands with people. It's not rude. It's fine to say. Right. This is a, you know, there's a thing, a problem out there. Um, in a for Ebola, the doctors worked out this elbow bump, you know, if you need to do something yeah. or bow or nod, or, but it's not worth it. That's exactly how something can spread. And how contagious well, is it? Um, if I can just give you a quick, what happened in Korea is alarming because we didn't quite know what was going on in China. You know, what were there other factors in Korea? A, a patient, they're now calling patient 31, flew back from uh, China through the Seoul airport onto a city in southern Korea where she's a member of a religious cult uh, where they all get together and sit elbow to elbow and so on. And she did this. They, don't, they weren't wearing masks. They were just doing their thing. And this spread to hundreds of them. And the thing is, as soon as that happens, they then go out and have contact with other people which is how you went from 30 cases about a week and a half ago to 2,337 as I speak. That's, an, that's mm -hmm. explosive. That's exponential. So that's how contagious it can be. However, uh, every step of discretion helps. So keep a distance where you don't have to be close. Don't touch things you well, don't have yeah. to touch when you're out in public and wash your hands. Well, you know, Claudia, that, that is good advice. And I, it, it was funny this morning as I was preparing for this podcast, I was just curious. So I went on, um, I went on Amazon and not to, not, not to just talk, you know, not to sort of pinpoint Amazon. I think this is true of everywhere, but I went to see what the N95. So they tell you, if you're going to get a face mask, get the one that's N95, which, uh, you know, apparently is, is a, is a much stronger face mask. And so I went and I looked and there are some available for the low, low cost of $299 and up. Um, there yeah. are some for a little, little less, uh, but, but that was, you know, sort of a three pack, you know, you get a whole three masks for that. So um, certainly you won't uh, find it easy. Now I will tell you, I, we do not have those masks, but I, we have some other masks. Um, and one reason I think that if you can't find the N95 mask, uh, but you you find some some lesser masks, I guess, if you will. Um, why it's so good to have those is because I have this terrible habit where if people tell me not to touch my face, I will touch <laughs> my face instantly. For instance, right now as I'm recording this, I am touching my face because I can't help myself. And so, um, and, and there's actually studies about this that 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 you know when when you in certain situations you sort of automatically touch your face. So one thing that the mask will help you do is it'll at least 
keep you from maybe, you know, touching your face because you'll feel a mask up there. Or you, it'll feel weird to touch the paper. Um, so that to me is a good thing. But I wrote, I wrote a little blog and I just want to tell people it's up on the IWF website. And look, this is the thing that may happen. If this disease, if, if this virus hits a city, they may ask people to do what's called sort of a voluntary shelter in place. Okay. And it's kind of, it's a, it's, um, it's sort of isolating yourself. And so families would be asked to kind of stay indoors. Don't go to the store so much. Try not to get out um, because they're going to try to stop the spread of this virus. And so they might ask people to shelter in place. And so it's not a bad idea to, and, and Claudia, you kind of went over a few things, but, you know, in addition to, to, um, to, you know, just face masks, I think it's important to have Pedialyte and children's Advil or children's Tylenol, uh, adult Advil, right? And bleach and tissues and extra toilet paper and extra water. And then just, you know, a couple of things that you'll eat anyway, like canned soups that your kids already like and peanut butter, granola bars or protein bars. These things are kind of important just because you want to avoid leaving your house for a certain amount of time. So I don't think it's, I, look, I'm no prepper and I don't think this is a reason to, you know, dig a hole in your backyard and go live in it for three months. But, um, but I do think that a little bit of prep is probably good. Um, and, you know, because again, this, this will probably sweep, sweep through con- considering how contagious it is. It will probably sweep, uh, sweep through possibly your town. Uh, so I don't think it's a bad idea to get prepared. And I think, Claudia, yeah. you'd probably agree with me on that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You should Pr- treat it like it's a, a hurricane that might last for a while. What would you What would you provide yourself with? In fact, I just add, um, one of the big effects is tremendous interruption of supply chains, the things that, for instance, yeah. China manufactures and ships out. And it's not just finished products. It's components. It's elements of medication. It's China is the main source for the world of those face masks. Um, one thing uh, devoutly to be wished, um, normally we love free trade, but there is a security dimension to this that's becoming very clear. We cannot be reliant on China for things that in a crisis right. we will need. We need to do something about that. Okay, that, that should be a discussion in Washington now. <laughs> but um, among the other things you can do, if you have pets, uh, because even if something isn't made in China, there are going to be there are potentially a lot of disruptions in the works. Oh, as right. Even. So go out and get yourself enough pet food to ride that out because yeah. they can't eat your, they can't eat the peanut butter, and um, uh, on the rest of it again, it's a matter of don't panic. This is you know the world will go on, but this uh, and it's possible that the U.S. will simply ward this off, but that's not where the probabilities point. It's more likely that it will come through. And, well, and it's any, a good thing and, to and, avoid if you can. And to any parents listening, look, there is no indication that this virus in any way upsets cable or Wi-Fi. So if you are having <laughs> to yeah. stay in your home for a couple of days, I think you will survive. Just put the TV on, give them a couple tablets, let them play some games and consider it a vacation. Um, I know this is, I wanted to leave it on that kind of happier note because I know this is a very, very um, serious topic. And uh, Claudia, I can't thank you enough for giving us some information here. This was a great conversation. Oh, thanks for the chance to talk about it. And everybody, do all you can to stay healthy. Well, we hope you take away something new from today's conversation. And if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks or like the podcast in general, we'd love it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure our messages reach as many Americans as possible. 
share this episode and let your friends know they can find more She Thinks episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here, thank you for tuning in. I think, you think, she thinks.